Pulp MX Network production. Thanks for all the support, Pulp MX fans. The Pulp MX app is now available for both iPhone and Android-based phones. For all your moto needs, shop at btosports.com and use the current discount code PULPMX. And don't forget to click the Amazon banner on PULPMX.com when purchasing anything from Amazon. It's the Steve Mathis Show, brought to you by RacerX, presented by BTOSports.com and ThorMX. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by ThorMX. Uh, check out ThorMX.com online and BTOsports.com. Big part of this show, and we appreciate it. Listen to the commercial to save yourself some money there. With me on the line is a, a guy I've been wanting to do one of these with for a while, and I see him, and it rem- reminds me, and then I forget, and then I see him, and then it reminds <laughs> me, and then I forget. Uh, former national what. Uh, Championship winner, former world champion, um, former motocross the nations winner, the the great Danny Laporte, Danny the Door. Yeah. What's happening? <laughs> uh, really good, thanks. Just uh, actually here at FMF today, just uh, working away. You and Uncle Donnie. Um, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, what a combo. <laughs> I, I shudder to ask what you guys are coming up with today. Um, I did see a KX500 motor wedged into a KTM 252 stroke frame. Yes, she did. That was that was fun. We have a great time, you know. We're always we ride a lot still. Yep. Um I I rode probably 30 times since uh the beginning of the year, which is is pretty good, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's two or three times a month we're out there, four times a month, maybe every week, I think. And uh we just go to local mountains and we have a bunch of trails that we kind of do. So, it's fun like when we try something on a bike, we run up there and we ride around a little bit, and we still can turn the throttle enough to kind of feel what's going on, you know. So, yep. yeah, at least we think so in our own minds, you know. <laughs> but we have a good time doing it, and uh, so we got these ideas, you know, like, well, what would what would be the perfect bike, or what would it like to be to do this? And we were thinking about that, how that bike came to mind was, you know, God, you know, I th- I think those old KT, uh, KX500 motors made a lot of horsepower, you know. Mm-hmm. And I go, God, wouldn't it be neat to put it in like a modern chassis? So, you know, the KTM was kind of logical because it was also a metal frame, you know. Yeah. So a lot of the guys do it with um, aluminum chassis. They put them in, into the, the, that style of frame. But I thought it would be better with an old steel frame. The vib- they seem not to vibrate quite as much as aluminum, I think. So we were just kind of figuring that stuff out like that. And uh, we bought a 2004 KX500 for a few thousand bucks. And I think it was like brand new, the bike. It had hardly been ridden. Uh-huh. And, and literally, we got it. The guy shipped it to us. We took the motor out. We had that motor in there in 24 hours. Really? And huh? then it was just little details, you know, of trying to get the, the, right, the crank in the right spots. We had to tweak a little bit dent the frame here and there yeah, yeah. and then you shim the shim the swing arm axle you know it was just and we actually had to bore the swing arm axle a few thousands so it was minor things you know connecting the air box to the carburetor right. is kind of tricky but it wasn't that far off we're going look after like all those years because that 2004 was the same as a 91 right, so right. that bike was for like 15 <laughs> years the same and and uh, so it's amazing, you know, like the, the brake 
pedal, the shift lever, the, everything hasn't changed that much. You right, know, right, little right. things have changed, the ergonomics of the bike and yeah. suspension gets better, little details. But uh, it, w- it went really smooth and it was just fun. And, and we threw it up on the dyno and it made 60, 60 horsepower stock, oh, you know. Oh, yeah, right, right. So, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> so um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Those, uh, I imagine, did you need anybody for the pipe or did you have the access to a good pipe builder? Yeah, I know. Well, you, you know, for us, we'll 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 take cuts, you know, in production. Right. But uh, yeah, we we can uh, whip out a pipe pretty quick, pretty which is a handy handy thing. And the guy that does all the all of our jig pipes is right by us, so it's fun because we're we're working on these projects like that one, and we're we did another one. We threw a, a KTM three eighty engine in an RM two fifty frame. Oh yeah. And we're we're throwing a, you know, so we got these little things right. going on for fun um. and. And, uh, of, co- of course, we do it with two strokes because it's kind of our, our era. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right down your guys' uh, um, home run pipe. Uh, how's the bike? <laughs> yeah. How does the bike – how did it work? Did it work all right? Oh, it, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's tiring to, you know, ride a, a full 500 because it pulls so hard. Right, right. When it comes on, they're so, they're so fast. So horsepower to horsepower, yeah, it's got more than a, it's got more than a modern-day 450, yeah. you know, stock to stock. But you don't – it's not quite as – easy to ride you know you can't mm-hmm. it, it, it's a little bit more difficult to ride for sure they made huge progress with the four-stroke engine you can be in a four-stroke you can be almost in the wrong gear right you know it kind of it's real pliable it gets decent traction but but there's also the tracks that you ride on today aren't really built for two-stroke mm-hmm. so where you come out of a turn and right away there's a jump right out of a turn where two stroke it seems like you need a little bit more distance to get up over a jump you know right, right. not that it doesn't have the power it's just how the power comes on power, you know yeah. so yeah. where a four stroke it lays power out every other beat a two stroke's laying power out every beat so it goes rah, rah, so it kind of wants to squirt sideways you know so you want to get lined up a little bit more turn and you, so your angles are different before you come out of the turn to hit the jumps well yeah the 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 traction is the biggest um, problem on a 502 stroke. You know what I mean? Like, right. if you had exactly. a, a tire and a surface, you would be unbelievable. But it's always the tire or the surface that is the problem with those things. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I always remember I raced them quite a bit too. And like, you ever get in trouble or you ever get a little tired, just start clicking a gear up and just ride around the turn slower. <laughs> you know, like, oh, on a big 500? Yeah, yeah. yeah just, oh, yeah. You can just leave it in third gear the whole track and brah, 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 you right, know. Right. And it, it's a lot of fun that way. So uh, where, where a two-stroke works pretty much all the time pretty well is in sand right. because they are light, and, and, they, they, and the wheel spins high, and it gets up on top and really boogies, you know. So you can feel that. In sand, if all the tracks were sand, two-strokes would be – Great, you know, right, right. but but with all the different surfaces you have today, and a lot of guys that practice on on hard, beaten down tracks that are never watered or prepared, you know, four stroke makes really, really nice power out of the turn. So, um, you've been at FMF forever. Uh, I imagine you met Donnie in the seventies. Is that when you guys yeah. first start? Because whenever I, you two are like just Mutt and Jeff, you're always together. You're best friends. It seems like you're you're always riding yeah. together. You're doing something. Uh, so you've you've known yeah. Donnie for for since the seventies. Yeah, well, I, I was just talking about that to him the other day. We were, I was in San Pedro at this track over by Gaffey, called Gaffey by the oil refineries. Mm-hmm. Donnie rode his bike from Hawthorne on the railroad tracks like 10 miles to get to this riding area. This is, he must have been like, 
I don't know, 15 or 16, you know, so you yeah, imagine yeah. that today. They'd, right. you'd be, you're, 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 they'd call your parents to go to jail for <laughs> child abuse, in, child endangerment right. or something, you know. Right. So, so, and I, I don't know how I got to Gaffey. Some, some local guys in the town had a van. I probably piled in the back. I was probably 10. Uh-huh. And we showed up at this track, and this guy's unloading his bike. He's got some Saks or some Zundap. Who knows? He's got mm-hmm. some wacky bikes. Donnie always had different bikes than everyone. And I was probably about 11 or 12, and, and Donnie must have been about 16 or 17. And he was already working on bikes. You know, yeah. it was just, he was already had stuff going. You could see these things like a pipe. And, you know, he was already doing stuff way back then, and he had his own style, you know. Right, so right. he was kind of cool, this skinny guy, kind of looked like Mick Jagger, you know. <laughs> and and, and uh, he just kind of had his own style, and I kind of caught that in my eye. And that's the first time I met him. I just never forget that. And then, uh, you know, maybe five years later or so, when I was maybe 14, 15, my dad was headed down to FMF. He already started the company back by 73 and um you know to get stuff done on on my bike you know so um yeah that's kind of how we met you know some local field in los angeles you know so yeah yeah. and here you are 30 years later 40 years later um yeah and yeah my career i mean i raced did my whole thing and 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 then ended up coming back and donnie just you know Said, yeah. When you're ever done, come on, let's you can go to work for me. You know, so that's yeah, yeah. kind of what happened. You know, so ah, cool. That was yeah. it. Was great. Yeah. Hey, speaking about two strokes, do you see? And we have uh, Donnie's uh, kid on on the Pulp Mech show every now and then. Uh, yeah, FMX right. on board with us as a sponsor there. Do you? Yeah. So I ask him the same question. Do you see a resurgence in two strokes? Do you see like uh, yeah. things coming back yeah, a little bit? You, yeah, yeah, I do. I see it. The big picture, you know, if you look at the world mm-hmm. first. And then, you know, you look at the whole world economically, you know, um, the cost of riding. In Europe, they're already coming back. They're very strong. Uh, And I'm going to name some brands. You think I'm nuts, but Beta, Gas Gas, uh, Husqvarna is coming back with a full line of two-strokes. Sherco, they have two-strokes. I mean, uh, and then TM. So there's six, not including, uh, you know, KTM, obviously. And, And they've really... KTM has kind of set the set the stage pretty much, and um, now I think a lot of the Europeans are kind of jumping on board. It's just in Europe, it's the same problem. It's the cost of riding. You know, I think yep. that's where two-stroke has the strength. Is that you know, it's a fun bike. They're light. They've got great points. Trail riding and off-road and and enduro and all the different things there are to do besides pure motocross. You know, two-strokes are very very um, they're very re- uh, relevant. You know, so. Um, and then the, you throw in the cost of the bikes; it's yeah. a no-brainer. And and sa- um, do sales are sales at FMF reflecting that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. we're we're yep. doing worldwide. We're doing really good with the two-strokes. We also build the other brands that I was mentioning before. Yep. Um, and the entire world, and you get Australia; they're still their two-stroke sales are doing well. More brands are jumping in on into it. You know now that they've seen how successful right. KTM is. Yep. Um, you know, it's an, there's not the, you don't really have the class for it in motocross. It's a little difficult for a two-stroke. You know, where do you really put it? You know, so um, it's kind of there. But as far as the off-road stuff, it, you can see it really growing worldwide. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's cool. Um, and what's what's kind of your day-to-day job at FMF? Uh, just hang out with Donnie and come up with ideas, or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ba- yeah, basically. You know, yeah. uh, it's. I mean, I I do a little bit of everything. So from I work with little Donnie on marketing behind the scenes, kind of like his, you know, his dad. We all work together. Yep. We're you know, it's kind of like a. 
it's just a great thing. I, I can work. I'll be working on the dyno one minute, yeah, yeah. working on, on a project, <laughs> going out riding with some guys, do testing, yeah. go to races. So I'm really a little bit kind of helping steer the ship, you know. Right, right, so I'm right. really fortunate that way. Um, obviously, little Donnie's ahead of uh, the uh, marketing department, and uh, but you know, behind there, we're we're all we all share and we all know somebody. We all work. So right, I'm really right. for me, it's really great because I was a racer before, you know, and I never, uh, you know, had a a typical job, obviously, right, and right. and so to me, I'm I'm really I've got I'm really hyper, and it's really hard for me to focus in just on one thing. So yeah, yeah. being able to help Donnie in every aspect of of the business is it's really interesting for me, you know, and because I can I it's it's a lot more there happening, and it's a, it's a really exciting that way rather than just getting stuck in one type of environment. Yeah, so I'm really that way. I kind of pick and choose if we want to go to races together. So you know, if there's more eyes and ears open out there, it, it kind of helps Donnie um, a lot. So I, at least I hope it does. <laughs> I was telling Junior, like him, his marketing efforts has really helped FMF out a lot. Like he's, right. you guys are killing it on that end. I feel like FMF has made a resurgence in the last uh, three, four years, and it's brand imaging now. You know, it's like cooler than ever. Yeah. To, to the FMF logo, you know. So yeah, uh, you guys are definitely have some momentum going on down there. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. We have a lot of fun doing it. You know, it's it's uh, you know besides the 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 marketing side of it, I it, we're I think we're doing great. I mean, I we we the FMF brand has been around forever, and um, you know we're just we're just uh, I think uh, everyone's doing a good job to keeping the brand really shiny. You know, so right, right. Um, uh, all right, let's get let's get in the time machine. Let's get back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where'd you grow up? I grew up, I was one of the, probably the only national motocross guys, except maybe a few that came out of really L.A., Los Angeles. And I'm on, not only in Los Angeles, like I'm on the farthest part of wherever there's to get to a track there possibly would be, you know, in <laughs> so, West L.A. So, even you, so grow, kind of, even you growing up was in the city, was in L.A. city. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and the suburbs, slightly suburbs. Right. Uh, in Torrance, I grew up in Torrance. Oh, okay. And and um, from there, yeah, I, I'm. It's like I'm halfway. I was halfway between Indian Dunes and Carlsbad. Right, you know. Right. Uh, so I was like, I was so I was kind of an outcast kind of a guy. You know, those dudes from L.A. But no, I I I raced up north, which is like the Simi Valley and Indian Dunes and um, Bay Mare, those tracks to the north, and then. A little bit, not the closest track to me was Saddleback, mm-hmm. and and that was cool. That was that was like there was the Saddleback guys, and there was the Indian Dune guys, and then there was the the down south guys like uh, you know uh, Brock Lover yeah. and Lachine and and Smith all came from San Diego area, Verona right, right. Oaks and Carlsbad. So um, I kind of I kind of like bounced around a lot. Uh, and then you just at some point your dad took you riding, and you realized you loved it, and and, and I, apparently you. were pretty damn talented at it right off the start i mean your first year as a pro i don't know how old you were but you got third overall yeah you know i mean the first time i I got on this remember reminds me the first day i ever got on a motorcycle we're out in the desert i actually kind of where hannah grew up riding Uh um right there in the local tehachapi's and i went there as well my dad put me on his mako i was like (laughs) i think i was like 11 or something and thing and yeah. had me on the bike i could barely touch and started the thing up and i just took off across the desert on a on like i think it was a <laughs> 490 or 4390 was it three no 360 x4a or okay. something thing i was like 
12 or 11, you know. Again, that would have been a child abuse thing. Anyway, I'd get on the bike, just turn the throttle, take across the desert with, I mean, I was sold. I was done. Yeah. I don't think I could turn the bike. I think I just, just went ended straight up line. crashing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was fun. So you just started, like, racing locally and racing at the local level. And back then, of course, California, yeah, you, yeah. Could, you could race seven days a week. Yeah, you could. I, I yeah. raced, um, and that's true, Ascot, Irwindale, Lions, um, uh, Riverside, Corona, Saddleback, Indian Dunes, so, uh, Carlsbad, whatever. I'd, I'd literally sometimes race three or four days a week. Yeah. Um, and that was honest, Ascot, Indian Dunes, and Carlsbad or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. I could and do that was, was kind of common. And I'd, I couldn't wait to get home from school, go to the garage, get my gear ready, load up the truck, and, and then, you know, by 3 o'clock right. I was at, on the road, you know, 3.30, and then unload the bikes, practice, go race, you know. I mean, it was, it was like that. It was such a cool period, you know. And um, literally, I, had, I rode sometimes two classes two or three days a week. Yeah, yeah. You right. know, so Just... we were doing hundreds of races a year. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so um, that, was, that was great. When did you start thinking, like, hey, I can, I'm pretty good, and I can maybe make a living at this, this racing dirt bikes? Um, I, I really – Doing local races, and this is what really inspired me. I'm not joking. I, I kind of quit. I had, I had a girlfriend that was going, where is this kind of going? I was like 16 or 17, you know. Mm-hmm. And at that time, there weren't, you know, there weren't, it's not like it is today. And it's, it's not that it's a lot better than it is today. It's not something you're going to, you know, send your, your yeah. kid. You know, it's very few kids ever make it as a, as mm-hmm. a factory racer, you know, and make a living out of it yeah. even today. But then it was even smaller and but anyway, I I, uh, I went to a local race, not local. I'm sorry, what I'm thinking about. It was up at Snake River. Um, I'd heard that Evil Knievel was going to, you know, right, jump right. the Grand Canyon, yeah, and, and they race. put up a hundred thousand dollar purse in 1975. Wow! Yeah, I've heard about this. Right, there was one, uh, yeah, race alongside with the and, the Snake River thing. Yeah, yeah, and I stopped riding uh, literally for about four months, and I was no one sh- not in any shape to go do it. Um, I didn't have a sponsor or anything at that time. I was 16 or 17, and I just kind of quit. You know, I was going to school. I think I'd probably end up, you know, going to school or wow. going to work. So you Wasn't quit. Being a race. You were done. I I actually quit. Yeah, for like three or four months. Yeah, you know, yeah. kind of right. one of those things. And I kind of was trying to think really what I'm doing in my life. You know, and and so my girlfriend and I got into my my buddies my. Uh, uh, sister's boyfriend's van and i drove up there it's like a camper shell on the top of the van you know and i I wanted to go watch this race i thought it'd be really you know neat to see that going on some guys pr cars makers the honda guys were there marty smith comes from socal he'd he'd been riding that year in Uh europe a little bit and a hundred grand in in 76 huge money yeah Yeah. 75 75 75. huge money and and I watched Marty, I, and I knew Marty because we had been racing together before he went on the circuit. Okay. You know, we were head-to-head all the time. And I, yep. and I saw him win the race, made ten grand, and all I could think was to get home and start riding again. <laughs> I left that event, and what was I thinking? $10,000. I can beat Marty. Rich, you know? I can beat Marty. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, you know, anyway, at that time, at that era, $10,000 in 75 was a lot of money. Yeah. And... And I was just, God, I was so motivated after watching Marty win the race and then Evil Knievel try to jump the Grand Canyon. Yeah, did you, <laughs> so stick, did you stick around for that? You stuck around? Such, it, such a wacky thing. Yeah, I was right up on the edge of the cliff. 
I saw that I sat. I didn't sit in the racket. Yeah. I climbed up and looked inside the cockpit and the whole thing right before he got into it and took off. So oh, it was and kind it of was fun. A massive dud. Just, just yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know what? I honestly think he thought he could make it over. It would have been safer because when the chute kind of – I think the G-force is so strong, he had a lever with the, with the parachute, and I think he just pulled it and went off. Right, yeah, by because accident, yeah. Because it actually was more dangerous. He had to go all the way down and land into the river, you know? Right, right. If he landed in the water, he probably would have drowned. So, so that was it. So you saw Marty win, and you're like, I can run with Marty, and I better start I, riding. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So when I got back home, I, I – I bought a, a, I think I bought a Elsinore 125, and just, you know, threw an FMF pipe, pipe on it, and went went racing, you know, and I just started. I and then um, another guy, a company, uh, that local guy that was running CMC races was Stu Peters. Calvin Franks was building a Franks motorcycle, mm-hmm. and and he sponsored me right away. Within a few weeks, I was winning races, and then I won a series, a bunch of races, and then that year. Suzuki called me on the phone. They said, we need to put together a team because Marty Smith just won a title, and he's a SoCal kid. And we know there's a whole bunch of you out there. So okay. they called me and Glover and, and, and Bob Hanna, and, you know, everyone was, was scrambling to grab SoCal riders. Right, 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 right. And so, so they just went to Carlsbad or Saddleback and, and started signing the top guys. And at that time, it was, like I said, said actually was already out there the year before I was. Right. Um, but but so they, they right away they saw, you know, um, they saw that they needed to put yeah. team together to, to go. All the teams needed to put stuff out to go get the title, you know, from Honda. So, so and I was in the... And this, that's the way it was. Is this salary uh, at all? Is there any salary involved? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. believe it. So this is a story. I'm I'm working on my probably ready, getting ready to go to to Saddleback. Right. Who knows what on the weekend in the garage, and I'll never forget the phone call I get from Tosh Koyama at um, from Suzuki Yo mm-hmm. Suzuki, and he says, uh, Danny. He goes, uh, he goes. Um, I'm Tosh from uh, Suzuki. Factory or whatever, yeah, yeah. you know, right. in the garage. Right. All, okay, yeah. and he's all, uh, "Would you be interested in coming down and talking to us about racing the national championship next year?" And I literally, I swear, I'll never forget to get. Oh well, thanks a lot for calling me. Let me take your number. Um, can I call you back and and um, uh, let me think about it for a few days? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> what like why? So, what you just weren't sure? Like, did you think it was a joke, or were you like? What? Yeah, no, not. No, honestly, I didn't think I believed him and everything, yeah, yeah, but I'm okay. thinking, uh, is this really the right move? You know, like, oh, okay. is this worth to go get, just to go down and get a factory deal? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that kind of how lucky I was in a way, and how it came together. So, so like that, I wasn't sure what the future was there. You know, like, right, right, right. is this the right thing to do today? It wouldn't have been no question. You know, on right on a, you know, a factory team back then is a little different as today. There were, you know four, five, six, seven, eight guys on the team. Yeah. And they got to be that big in not long after I jo- joined, for example, Suzuki. Uh-huh. But that year, I think we had four guys in the 125 class. We had three, two or three in the 250 Suzuki, you know, and then yeah. two or three in the 500 with a backup guy. I mean, the team were all factory bikes. You know, there was, you know, five or six trucks, sometimes two in each truck, you know, so... All the riders were factory riders, and then that made it to the start of a race. There was no private teams that ever qualified back in those days. Wow, you know, okay, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so you, yeah, so 76, your first year, that's the year Hannah comes out of nowhere, yeah, basically. Right. Uh, beats Marty, right. 
right? Beats Marty. Right. You get third. So you're right in there. You win. Looks like you won a couple of nationals that year. Uh, yeah, no. I, well, I, to let you know, the start of that year, my fork snapped off at Hangtown. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know if I won one moto or got second in one moto, and then my fork snapped off. So that kind of ruined my chance. <laughs> Took the air out of my, out, the wind out of my sails a little bit yeah, after yeah. the first experience being a factory rider. And then uh, it ended up to be really close. You know, Hannah won. Marty got second, I believe, yep. and I got third. But it was like we tied in points. So if my forks didn't snap off, I yeah. probably would have beat Marty. And um, so and I'm guessing, that was... And I'm guessing Hannah wasn't a shock to you like it was to the press and to fans because you'd race this kid from the desert every week. You know what? Actually, we didn't because Bob... Um, Bob went from almost like just at the end of '75. Bob started doing a few events, you okay. know, yep. um, and then then he then the year I started, he did a, started the full season. So, but he 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 was kind of coming in. Just we kind of missed each other. We really didn't race against each other at all. Okay. But I saw him coming through. You know, he would be popping around. I saw his name appearing all of a sudden. Right. It was like, whoa, where'd this guy come from? You know, yeah, cause yeah. he didn't really, he wasn't a local guy. He just pretty much rode and played up in the mountains, like I said, up at right. Bean Canyon, up in um, the Tehachapi Mountains, you know. So he, he just had great, I mean, he rode a lot of technical trails, a lot, basically kind of an off-road kind of guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and racing was just something kind of new to him. You know, he just started doing a, a few events locally, but he just, he just was good, you know. He had great balance, and he wasn't afraid to turn the throttle. So, yeah, so it wasn't – it was a bit of a shock to see him beat Marty for you, too. Like, that, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The first year I was pretty surprised, you know, yeah. um, that he, he, he could he, – he did that, you know, just going from – from nothing to that level really right. quickly, you know. Um, the next year, of course, is uh, maybe what you're, I wouldn't say you're most famous for, but the next year, 77, that's the let Brock buy year. Um, yeah. You're basically effed out of a title. Well, not really effed out of a title, but it's legendary by now. Um, did you know what was going on when Keith McCarty told Hannah to let Brock Glover buy? Did you know that? Uh, or? I, I don't know if I – I don't think I saw the sign. Okay. Um, I might have seen the sign, but I can't remember that. Right, right. But, you know, because I, I – that, that was kind of interesting, you know, the whole – that year in those days, like, they – Yamaha had two fifteen five hundred guys that they brought in to that day to ride the 125 oh, class. Cars Makers, yeah, yeah. Burgett, Mike Bell, what I, everybody came in to jump, and, and basically was the block, right, to put people between Brock and I. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, the, yeah. so that's kind of, to me, that was like kind of the whole, kind of like the whole started kind of the, I knew, obviously, what they had to do, you know, so. And you, I don't you, think it was, you yeah, didn't, you didn't have any, You didn't have any Suzuki teammates that could help you? Uh, uh, then, like to come into another class is really hard just yeah. to jump out there, you know. And and like, yeah, the guys, yeah, they put they put Grossi. I think they moved Grossi into the class, but they're, you know, like those guys were just kind of in the way in the start, you know. Like yeah, yeah. that's kind of mainly maybe they might have screwed me up for a, a lap or two in the start, um, but right. and I had two, one kind of crummy start, so. I had my. I knew I had to pass, but I. I could always. I knew I was fast enough to finish close enough, or 
to Bob and Brock to win the championship. So I was confident in myself. There's no way I could lose, even if the worst scenario was I yeah. got taken out on the start, which I kind of did in one of the motos. I had to come from far, pretty far back. And it wasn't, I'm not saying it was the fault of any of the yeah, Yamaha yeah. guys, but it just, I had a bad start. And so I'm working my ass off coming up, and, and it just worked out perfectly for Yamaha that day, how the, I had two crummy starts, mm-hmm. and Bob was in the position to, to, to move over and let Brock by. What were the points going in? Do you remember? Um, I don't even I think I had, uh, no, I don't. I, I think it was, we were, Brock and I were within, I think, like five or six points. Okay. So it was kind of a winner's, so winner's take all it, thing. It had to work exactly like it did, and Bob had to move over for Brock to win. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, of course, you know, the, the Keith McCarty got caught on photo. I think Jody Weisel took the photo, didn't he? I think, uh, I think Jody did. Did he really? I think he so. might have. Um, and so you guys tied. You guys tied, or did Glover, did you, did Glover beat you by one? Um, no, he, we tied, but they, they used to take the last moto as the, uh, <laughs> the very last moto. Uh, right. How upset slash angry were you, or were you at all, or did you have words with anyone at Yamaha or anything else? No, or what do you remember? No, I, no. I honestly, honestly, you know, looking back, and, you know, I, I don't know if everybody knows the, rule, the rules about doing that, you know, but I'm not so quite sure if I do or not. But basically, you know, no one from the outside the race can, can get, you know, verbally give a command or whatever on, yeah, on the yeah. sign saying, telling them what to do, right? Right. Is that kind of what it is? Something? I, I don't know. I mean, and, yeah. Yeah. But we, but we all do it. We all do it in the pits, right? right? We all decide before, okay, hey, if it comes to, down to this, this is what the team has to do for yeah. each other. Right. So I knew it, it could have happened. So I had nothing wrong with it. In fact, I didn't even know that the sign was out until after, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what made it a pro- That's why it became a problem is because of the signboard. And, you know, Hannah, Hannah just was the, – the president of Yamaha was there, and Bob would not pull over. So he had those guys <laughs> shit in their pants. So, you know, so, right. and, they, and he, he threatened. He said, I'm not going to pull over for Brock, you know. And so they were pretty much staring down Bob all on the sideline. <laughs> you know, so they just they, – you know, well, Bob had to do it. It's part of his job, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, that's the kind of the way I look. What I was so bummed about is that I look back in the championship, I go, if I just had passed that one more guy, if I had, didn't screw up, you know, and yeah, that, you at, know what I mean? I, at, I, uh, I looked at that as being my fault for losing it, not that anything like that had ever happened. You know? Right, so, you had uh, another eight races or whether you could have made one more pass. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like I was so pissed at myself more than anything because I had it, you know, I'm, I might have been just a little too careful, you know, just trying to take it easy that year, you know, right. so it just really pissed me off more than anybody else's. I looked at it being my fault, but it, the, the whole controversy was kind of amazing, you know, mm-hmm. I think what really made it that, uh, high, made it so big was that Bob and Brock on the team were, weren't ever seeing eye to eye, you know, right. so yeah. that that made a huge controversy, and um, I, I'm friends with both of them. You know, Brock and I and, and Bob and I are all real good friends. I mean, as me and Bob and me and Brock. Right, right, right. I did one of these with Bob, and, of course, he was classic in it, right? And, yeah, yeah. He, he had mentioned, like, I didn't even like Brock. I like Danny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> hey, Bob, Bob, Bob's really funny. He goes, he cracks me up. We did this one thing. He was doing an interview, and he goes, yeah, well, I don't know why Laporte's so nice. He must have fallen on his head when he was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, That's so the, basically your first two years of Nationals, you go third overall, yeah. and then you tie for the title. 
um, uh-huh. which nowadays would you know pretty much get you a million dollar contract, Danny. But back then, uh, not so much. Hey, what did uh, Supercross was starting to come along? Did you uh, did you like it? Yeah, I mean Supercross was already going. You know, every year yeah. we had already at that time there was the Supercross series going. I never really liked Supercross. You know, uh-huh. I honestly, I never really was sold on it. You know, I mean. It just didn't turn me on. It's not what I I signed up for in a way, you know, because it, to me it was just like a, a corny show, you know. <laughs> right, 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 right. And it was important. It was still important even at that time. It was becoming really important. The stadiums, we were packing people in stadiums. So it was very important. I'd say we're even filling up stadiums more then than we are today. Mm-hmm. And And – but for me, the reason why is that I look. I could walk in the stadium. I look around and I look like a full stadium. And I'm going. And the purse is what twelve hundred dollars tonight. So right. the riders at that time, the contracts weren't big. The bonuses were very small from the factories. So what's why should we go put a show on for the the promoter right. at the time? All these guys, which I know they're they're doing very. I think I believe they were doing well. That the, that the riders. Somehow weren't you know they were, we were putting on the show but we just couldn't capitalize on on it somehow we were the writers were always unorganized there was never any kind of writer union or association that still isn't today so you know we were always afraid to oh don't don't stir the water don't don't do this don't do that you know and it was kind of like we were all frightened into oh you could lose your contract so we go protest against the promoter and the and and we would you know end up. Um, you know, pissing off the manufacturers somehow, and I'm thinking this is not right. You know, so I never really, I never really was sold on Supercross. You know, um, today I think the guys are making a lot more, so it makes it makes more sense for them. To, the risk factor, you, you got to weigh it out. You know, okay, so if I'm gonna, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, if I can make X amount, you know, for bonuses tonight, if I go out and do this, I'm, it's worth the risk. But to me, I never saw it worth the risk. Um, you know, because obviously, you know, you're, you can get hurt when you're in the air a lot right. more than you're on the ground. Mm-hmm. So, in the, the, not that the, the, you know, if you compare the times and the era, you know, we were going high, we were going far, but based on the bikes and the, and the way they were building the ramps and the jumps, today the tracks, the, the shovel, the pitch, the, the, of the yeah. angle of the takeoff are really designed really, really well. Right. You know, in the old days, you were like, it's like square, you know, you'd come up and it was like a jump in the middle of this without a ramp. In the beginning, they got better over time. Right. But you were also, you know, jumping high and far. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I just did, I never saw in my mind that I wanted to do that, you know. So um, anyway, I, I my goal, my thing was outdoor. I thought it would be great one day to be able to, Mm-hmm. To be national champion and world champion, you know, so that's kind of was my my goal, and I didn't think it was important for me to race Supercross, although it was. I always I did okay, you know. I never, but I never really, honestly, put the effort in to try to win a championship in Supercross. Yeah, yeah, right. The uh, you moved to two fifties and five hundreds takes you a couple of years, yeah. couple of couple uh-huh. of off years for you, anyways. Um, and you finally win the five hundred title in seventy nine over Mike Bell, which. Look at the points you won by three points or six points or something. Yeah. So it was a pretty good yeah. battle all year. Yeah, it was good. I mean, I, that's typical Danny's story, you know. Like I, I just kind of did what was, just what I had to to win the championship, you know. Rather, mm-hmm. yeah. than, rather than like you know try to. I, I look back at that. I go, you know what? I could have screwed that one up as well, you know. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> so um, three points. What is that? I had I, the year before that in '78. Actually, I was in '78. Yeah, before that was yeah. a really good year. I won a lot of motos, and I, I believe I could have won the title. And then I just had a few mechanicals. And then you know you, you're out a couple of motos. You can't. You know, 50 right. points is a lot. Well, yeah, especially so, back then the Nationals weren't as long yeah. as they were now. So, you know? so. Outdoor, I, I think outdoor I was always in contention to, to win a championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're with Suzuki the whole time. I guess uh, the pay is getting good, and um, you're starting to get a little more a little more perks. The sport's starting to grow more and more uh, right. over these years. Right. Um, By 1980, yeah, it's starting to grow. Salaries went from, uh, you know, every year it was really funny. The, the, you know, they were starting a factory start off. Uh, position was like twenty twenty five thousand dollars in the in the mid seventies. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, and then yeah. So what uh, what what made you go to Honda at the uh, for nineteen eighty one? Well, uh, when uh, DeCoster had been at Suzuki for many years, you know, obviously uh-huh. he raced from from the sixties all the way into the to nineteen eighty. I believe nineteen eighty. Yeah, something like that. Was yeah. his last year or seventy nine or eighty? So he was there a long time and and. Um, then he became team manager at Honda, um, I believe, the same year that yeah. I went to Honda or the year before. No, he went. Roger went to Honda the year before. He was yeah. racing the last year of his Grand Prix on a Honda. Right, yeah, that, he, he won his yeah. very last Grand Prix on a Honda, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then when he got hired to become team manager and put together a team, you know, because of my relationship at, at Suzuki for mm-hmm. so many years, he wanted, he wanted to th- put me on the team, so... Um, I thought after you know five or six years at Suzuki, it would have been a, it was a good, good, the right time to make a change. Right, and did you get a, and, did you get a bit of a raise too? And they put you in five hundreds. Yeah, I did. You know, I got a raise, and and um, it was just a a one year deal. And um, again, for me, a one year deal was was more my my mentality, my option than anything else. I never asked for anything more because I thought it was always better to like keep. Thinking that you never had another year deal to go, you <laughs> right, know, right, right. <laughs> put a little more pressure on myself. Um, it's yeah, kind of funny. Fun, yeah, exactly. Put pressure on yourself. Um, yeah, it's kind of the opposite nowadays, Danny. Doesn't really work like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, it's kind of funny. I go, I, I was thinking about that, and and honestly, I'm not joking. I thought, God, you know, that you'd want to leave your options open. Maybe there's a better deal. Maybe. You know, if you, yeah. if you if a two or three year deal, what are you going to do? There's no pressure, right? Right. You know, right. so it's really funny. I I just I thought the year one year deal deal was red at the time. So wherever I went, I would always thought it was that way. Oh yeah, yeah. So okay, so um, no USA goes to motocross the nations for many years. Yeah, uh, it doesn't do yeah. very much. Uh, there comes a point where uh, USA doesn't even field a team for a couple of years. Um, yeah. But Roger, being Roger, it's important to him. He wanted to make it happen. Um, you got picked. It was an all Honda team, so basically he probably ordered all of his riders to go. Uh, how do you remember that getting set up, that, that uh, 1981 Destinations team? Like, was it well, like, hey, Danny, do you want to go, or did you have to ride your way onto the team, or what would you think? No, I mean, I, I, when I heard about it, I thought it was great. I mean, I, it was, I knew it was a good opportunity for me because I wanted to eventually end up in Europe. Mm-hmm. So I wanted, and, and I had just broken my wrist the year before on that Honda when I raced for Honda that year. So I was just starting to, to get my my act together. <laughs> I didn't want to use the S word there, but I didn't want to get my and my act together. So just the last national or two, I won the couple nationals that year. Just the last ones because I had broken my wrist early in the season, went over the bars at Saddleback, and um, so 
this opportunity was to keep extending my a few more races would have been good for me, you know, because I needed to do well. Yeah. So for the, my next year, right? See, I'm not stroking it. I have to, I have to go out and perform, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I perform, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I have yeah. a. So like, it was. I knew I could have another deal, but this is another opportunity for me to to show what I could do, whether it be for here or whatever, you know. And and I was really, I was really glad that that it ended up that way. That um, no one wanted. It, before the Honda, the, the Coster, the whole thing came together, nobody wanted to go to Europe. Right. Nobody. Nobody was, they were, no one had broken the ice. So it's really funny. I look back now and I think, and so Roger has this idea, look, if, if I put it together, Roger knew that you don't have to be one, you don't have to win a moto at the, the Nations to win overall. Mm-hmm. You need a good, solid, if everybody was three and four, you'd win. The, you'd win. You know, it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. just, it's inconsistent. Right. So, so, um, I think Roger really honestly in his mind knew that he could go over there and win, you know, I think he'd done right. And under the same tent before when the Americans did go, everyone was scattered, you know, no one worked together as a real team. Right. You know, it was a Husky guy, a Yamaha guy, a Suzuki guy, a Kawasaki guy, you know, and so it was it was just scattered. Um, so when uh, backing up a little bit, and this is a question I have for later, but I heard you say you always wanted to go to Europe. Um, yeah, really. So that so that early on in your career, you didn't want to, you know, win Supercross titles, live in the USA. You were always no. wanted to go to Europe. Really, that's interesting. Yeah, well, because to me, in my mind, like I'm a goal-oriented person. I, yeah. When I kind of get somewhere, then I'm ready to move on. I really think it's amazing that a guy can win three or four championships or five, the same championship. I don't know how they can do it. I, yeah. I, lay, I roll off the carpet for them. To me, I'm, I've, I was yeah. hyperactive. I, and so I, I don't have the, I don't know if that's a good term or not, but yeah, yeah, I just yeah. couldn't, I just wanted to move on. I set a goal and move on to something new, you know. So I'm a goal-oriented person. I, that's what I can say. And I, and I just, I knew, my, I know myself, and I, to me, it was kind of getting. It was. I was losing interest. The same. You eat the same place. You drive the same rental car. You stay at the same hotel. Wow, okay. After six years, I was so freaking bored. Wow. Okay. I'm thinking. I'm. I'm thinking. Oh my God. This is like. This is it. I mean, in America, you go everywhere. You eat the same food. You do everything <laughs> the same. I mean, to me, the same is not interesting. Uh, I've been this way my whole life. You wow. Know? So interesting. I, like my, yeah. I drive my wife crazy. She's French. And we've moved 15 times, you know. I've lived, I've had houses in Italy, in France, Idaho, L.A. I've had, you know, at the same time I've had houses actually in different places. Right. I mean, I, I don't like roots. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just, I like, I like to be able to move and, and travel around the world. So I thought it would be really interesting, you know, to oh, not wow. only not only to co. No one had first of all, no one had won a title in Europe, yeah. so that was a motivation in itself. And so uh, back to this, the, my my point about the opportunity racing there with Roger and everything is that until then nobody wanted to go race to the nations. And then it'll, I'll never forget is that after we won and and it was great and awesome, then then all the Americans wanted to go. You think about it because yeah. the next year I said, you know what, you know, Roger, and I swear, Roger says, Danny, you're on for this, this, the, the Nations after I won the world title. Yeah. I was selected to do the team. I go, no, Roger, get, let somebody else an opportunity to do it. Oh, yeah. He's all, you know, so I'm all, okay. I, he goes, so that, that year, I think Bailey Johnson yeah. and, and Johnny 
Johnny did, and uh, I can't remember who the other M- guy Magoo. was. Magoo. It was Magoo, Bailey. Yeah, Magoo. Or, uh, yeah, so. Yeah. Gibson, yeah. Gibson, I think. Um, yeah, so so it was really funny. After that, everybody wanted to go. Wow. So I, I look at it that way, and I go, great, that's cool. Now move over somebody. But it was really funny. Years after that, no one wanted to move over. They all wanted to stay on the winning team. Well, you know, it's, it's a typical. You did that before, you know. When you but went, anyway. when you went over, it was uh, yourself, uh, Donnie yeah. Hanson, Johnny O'Hanna, or Johnny, Johnny yeah. O'Mara, and Chuck Son. Um, Johnny O'Hanna. Johnny hey. <laughs> um, you guys. I mean, no offense. That wasn't the four yeah. best American riders, but it was Honda and Roger organized it. Did you think you could win? I mean, were you confident? Uh, well, I, I was pretty confident myself because I I win I won most a lot of nationals in the sand. The first tracks, okay. Lommel, yeah, I've, Lommel and Germany. I've won, right? I've, I've, I don't think there's a race in America I haven't won in the sand. You know, so mm-hmm. against anybody. So I felt I was one of the best sand riders in the U.S. for sure. You know, Hannah I believe was one of those guys. Yeah, can yeah. ride in the sand really well, but I never won lost national in the sand. Okay, so so, so you were confident you could do I, well. Yeah, I I knew I could do well at Lommel. In in Gaeldorf, uh, Gaeldorf, yeah, Gaeldorf in Germany. I I didn't know it was just a real hard track. Yeah. It was actually it rained that night day, so there was even pavement on the track. But in the sand, I was really confident that I could I could probably place well, at least be the top American. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure how I could do. I didn't really know because the Belgians were great sand riders and yeah. Dutch guys. So so um, now uh, uh, I did one of these with Dave Arnold, uh, who was the manager then, and yeah. he said. You know, not a lot of respect, not a lot of thought. The Americans, you guys ran numbers in the 50s, I think. Um, yeah. You won on Saturday. The qualifiers, though, USA won as a team. But everybody kind of was like, ah, whatever. You know what I mean? Um, but you guys did it. In the, in the deep sand, which, by the way, the 2012 um, Team USA were fish yeah. out of water. They were fish out of water at Lomel. But uh, you well, guys. Well, you know what? But Roger, on the other hand, Rogers, in, to Roger's credit, he – Picked riders that all won a lot of titles at mm-hmm. that time. From that point on, you yeah, know, like yeah. Johnny and Donnie, they they became the guys right. immediately. And Roger saw that where I think he didn't. The other guys didn't see it. You know, that's why he had such a strong team mm-hmm. and such a good way to to put it together. You know, he he did grab the right guys. They hadn't been proven at the point, but they proved it right away within months after they're they're yeah, winning yeah. everything else. So so Roger saw that. Not everybody saw it. And um, I think I think more than anything, it's organization to win the nations. You know, mm-hmm. at least it used to be. Yeah. I'm not so sure about today, but like I was saying, you need, really need strong finishes. You know, like it's not easy to 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 win two in a row. You know, uh, right. something. You know, at, at the nations, you got so many good riders all on the same track at the same time. But here's an example. And it's really great, Roger. The, uh, the week before, we're at a sand track. It's older mm-hmm. in Belgium, deep sand, flat. And Roger, we're testing. Hey, someone's got to go out and do forty-five minute motos. Yeah. We're all looking at each other. Me, Donnie, Johnny, and and <laughs> and Chuck. Chuck, and we're all why? He goes, well, do we know even know we can go forty-five minutes in deep sand in Belgium? And it's like, oh, good point. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he selected me, and I think Johnny or me and Chuck. I can't remember right. who did it. So we went out for 40 and just, like, raced each other for 45 minutes in deep sand, uh-huh. right? Yeah, just, yeah. He said, just like you would race. Oh, are you kidding me? So I'm going to go do two 45 minutes of sand. You know how hard that is already. This yeah. is, like, five days before the sand race. Right. 
they start to do it forty five minutes. So okay, so I do I do it and like literally ten minutes before I'm out of gas. Thirty five minute mark. 30, whoa, <laughs> you, guys out got, of gas. you guys got problems. Right. We would never have won. Right, right, right. We would never. We'd still be. We ne, history would never have been the same, and all the Americans wouldn't have been coming over there for year after year because we still believe we probably couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was really amazing. And and Roger, Roger, so Roger borrowed from like Malherbe's five hundred bikes, big tanks, mm-hmm. and they and they came over, threw them on there, and that's that's kind of a a little thing of the story, which I think is yeah. really cool. Yeah, but, it is. Uh, it if is. it wasn't for Roger's experience. We wouldn't, ha- and and if the, if it was a team that would have been thrown together, it wouldn't have happened again. You yeah. know, so the t- American motocross tanks were a little bit smaller because we were, I think, we were doing thirty, thirty, thirties yeah. already, or maybe not thirties, but the tracks weren't deep sand like right, they were right. in Belgium. You know, so it's that time again. Thanks for listening to the Racer X podcast show, brought to you by BTOSports.com. Presented by Thor MX. I appreciate it. Don't forget to click on the Amazon banner on pulpamex.com to help out pulpamex.com. We appreciate it. Listen to these commercials. Buy from these sponsors. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side. Rex Podcast Show is brought to you by BTOSports.com. Whether you are looking for new gear, helmets, boots, or you need to rebuild your bike from the ground up, BTO is your source for all of your motocross needs. As a proud sponsor of the BTO Sports KTM race team and the heart of the BTO Sports amateur motocross team, it is obvious that we are about more than being just a store. We support the sport that supports us. us. We at BTO Sports want to give back to you, the listener, for supporting us and the Racer X Podcast Show. Use coupon code Pulp MX when placing your order at btosports.com for a VIP listener discount. Certain brand restrictions will apply. For 2013, JT Racing enters its next generation with the all-new Evolve Light, ProTech, Enduro, and Limited Edition collections, taking quality and innovation to a whole new level. Also available in youth sizes, each collection is built with high-grade materials offering its own unique characteristics to meet the demands of today's riders, both recreationally and competitively. To find a dealer or view the entire collection online, log on to JTRacingUSA.com. Championship proven. Many motocross apparel brands make that claim, but only Thor can back it up. As America's first motocross apparel brand, Thor has set the standard for delivering the highest quality performance racewear on the market for the past 45 years. With champions like Ryan Villapoto, Blake Baggett, and Dean Wilson, to name a few, our products truly are championship proven. To see all the new 2013 products, visit ThorMX.com or head to your local Thor Parts Unlimited dealer. Thor, the official racewear of Supercross. What was first, 500s or 250s? Trophy or, motor, or motocross? Uh, which the, one was which? Uh, the 250s were the first weekend, and the second weekend was 500s. 250s were in Lommel? Yeah, 250 yeah, Lommel, right, 500 right, was in right. Germany. Um, when you won, when you stood on the podium at the end of the day, did you have any idea what you what you accomplished at the time? I, you know what? I, I, it's true for sure that is above everything, anything I've ever 
done. You know, it was this. We were we were all so proud, and we were we were. You know, it was kind of corny, I know, but you know, we all stood up together, and and uh, you know, we were all red, white, and blue. It was really cool because the bikes were already red, so everything just fit yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and to do that is one of the. The biggest thing is that it was a big game changer. I mean, it really turned the tide of every the way everyone looked at America. It did. It did. Yeah. And and it gave everyone a lot more confidence and what and and put us you know in that position. So it really changed everything. And it, and it was great. I'm so lucky to be you know on that team. And it's the greatest memory that I'll ever have racing because you know you it's just to beat those guys in their own backyard, especially in Belgium. Oh mm-hmm. my God, you should have seen their faces. You know. <laughs> I mean, they were like they. It was so. Right. But you know what? Honestly, there were a lot of Europeans that were very happy for us. You know, cause, you know, because they struggled for so many years there. You right, know, right. And and Roger was Roger, and Roger was a Roger dog. got a lot of, Roger got a lot of flack for it because you know, obviously, being Belgium and going to Europe, America to show the Americans how to beat the Belgians. Yeah. At their own deal, you know, it was pretty, pretty hard for Roger. But do anyway, you, uh, but. do you remember how you did personally? Um, yeah, I, I think I I did a three two. Okay. And I with I, I yeah I had a real actually a pretty good ride. I crashed once, got up, and then still finished second. I think. Mm-hmm. And I think Johnny did a two three, something like that. So yeah, we yeah. kind of alternated moto finishes in the first race and the second race in Germany. Um, uh, so I think Johnny and I did really well in, in, in Lummel. I think if you look at the, there's a film, they have it, the whole thing's filmed. It'll be out pretty soon. So everyone can see who really did what, right? <laughs> all the stories we can all tell and who did what. And then the film's going to come out. Both I, motos uh, are going to be available pretty soon. I think someone's did some stuff on it. So oh, that's cool. I can always go back yeah. and look at Cycle News archives too. I never yeah, I should have done so, that. But. So nobody can, well, the film is really good because it really doesn't miss much at all. Right, <laughs> it's right. pretty funny. Um, it's pretty good. And then um, then the next week in Gale really exciting, started to rain. And again, like like threes and fours and fives were winning, you know, or six. Right, right. Or, a, or a four and an eight and a two or something like that. Right. And I think it was so, we all, we all did really good. We did what we needed to do. We didn't win the motos. Um, because at that time, nobody in the, in the world was as fast as Andre Vroman's in the sand. So, you know, even if Johnny and I had better starts or we yeah. it didn't fall or we it didn't have to come up, Vroman's would still have, have beat us. Yeah, he, he was phenomenal. He was the guy, right. He um, was the guy. He was like hurlings right, right now in the right, sand. Right. Um, and uh, so. so, okay, so that's it for you. You bid farewell to america you get a factory yamaha ride yeah um, yeah um did did the designations ride get you that ride or was it something you were already planning on it or no no, no. for sure that the nation's ride got me the ride i okay. knew that for sure right away i saw s- someone that knew hickey mikola okay and and i said you know because i was and I, I knew that if i had the opportunity opportunity and i and i talked to her about it and roger said you know i wanted to stay with honda and race in europe right but there was no spot for me at Honda to race in Europe. You know, they were positions were full, their budget was done. And then I so I right away I ran and got some of the new Heike Mikola to get a hold of them to let him know that I, I was, you know, available mm-hmm. and then he's all boom, okay. He calls me like that night, that day, he was oh, yeah. ringing, calling me, <laughs> and he puts the deal together. And so I and then it was really hard for me to go back to Roger and turn down because the 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 next year, the 83 and 84 Hondas were 
yeah, crazy. They were pretty incredible. Good. Right. And I turned down an opportunity to come back and race with Honda on those bikes. And obviously Johnny O'Mara and Donnie Hansen, their, Bailey, their careers yeah. were right. made from the, that, those era bikes. And, and, but I had to move on because you know me. Yeah. I just did what I had to do. I had this opportunity. No one's done it. No one's won a championship. Before. I got to go do it. And that's the way I operate. Were you, so, uh, were you okay I, with, were you okay with 250s or did you want to go 500s? Um, I, I was okay with 250. I wanted to go 500, but right. 250 was fine. If it can get me an opportunity to go show what I could do, that's what I did. And, and I went for it. I called Roger, says, you know what, Danny? He goes, I know you want to go. I give you all the blessings in the world. So this was a hard thing for, hard call for me to do to Roger, you know? So, but um, it was really, really, uh, it was inspiring. He, he's real supportive, you know? So he understood. Right, right, right. Um, so you, you, that's it. So 80, 82, you head on over. Uh, fact, yeah. How's the bike? It's fat, full factory. Uh, yeah, the bikes were all full yeah. factory. Yeah, the bikes were all factory in Europe. Still, they never went to uh, right, right. production at all until uh, you, quite a few years later. Quite a few later, years later. Did you enjoy the bike? Yeah, you know, it was really um, it was it was good enough. You know, okay. I mean, it wasn't the best bike out there. Yeah. But I my I wanted to win so bad it didn't matter. And I I probably there's a lot of guys out there you know that. That have won championships. They, when it's in your mind, you just get the bike set up the way you want it. it you're comfortable. It, you you're feel safe on it. You make it work how you want it, and then it, the rest comes down to the rider. And I think right. even today it's very similar. Yeah. You know, same idea. Um, so, huh? Huh? You, you're saying, yeah, like yeah, it's it's the rider is the the big thing, right? You know? um, and, and but the but the bike the bike I liked it. It was still it was still like one of the only air cooled bikes out there. It, but the the chassis worked. Yeah. I got it working really well. I played around with some fork angles and some offsets and stuff, and got the bike where I could. I just loved the way it turned. But the bike was so light, you know, it was yeah. like no water cooling on a bike. Right. The thing was so f- unbelievably light still, and it still had decent amount of amount of decent amount of power. So, um, it was good. Um, I always tell this to. I did one of these with Marty, and you know, I've done this with Bobby Moore. I just did one with Bobby a little while ago, um, and I always say the same thing. People don't understand when you're going to Europe in the early '80s, mid '80s, or whatever. This is communism. This is no internet. This is no yeah. phone calls. This is traveling in a bus. The, you know, this is gnarly. Europe back then, traveling. Right. The logistics are for a Southern California oh, kid had to have been crazy. To Russia, well, my story to Russia. I got great stories in Russia, but anyway. Um, to, yeah, I mean that's the, that's but that to me that's part of the challenge, you know, Steve. It's like anything. Like after I raced in motocross, I, I started racing in Baja 1000. Right. What I got to do? I got to get out of motocross. I'm done with <laughs> it, right? After a few, then I started racing off road Baja, and then I went to Africa. I raced Paris to Dakar, the Pharaohs. I raced the Moroccan Rally. Right. I did those things not because I, I I was challenged by it. I thought it was awesome. I mean, I was a motorcycle racer, and it wasn't. It was about the money. Also, I made money mm-hmm. doing those things. You know, yeah. in Africa on the on the route at that era, they had cigarette things, money, and going around. And I was, shit, I got to go chase <laughs> some of that around. But it was that's that's a part that's of it. That's the but fun of it. Me, yeah. it's like setting a new setting a new goal, moving on, and trying to go do something else. That's just the way I am. And it was another challenge. No one had done it before, and kind of that's what I've wanted to do my whole career. Right, right. Kind of keep going on. Yeah. So it, it, to me, everything that's hard makes it 
more of a challenge. Oh, well, it's my back to, back to America. You fly, you do everything, you check in your 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 air tickets. You fly up, the, you come to the airport, you yeah. check in, you get the baggage, yeah. you rental car to the to the Holiday Inn to the or whatever. You know, right, right, kind of like, right. and then and then to the track, and then back to the airport, and then back home again in your own bed. It's like it to me. It's not interesting, you know. So I, yeah. I believe me. Don't I don't want. To, and when take me wrong, I love I appreciate everybody what they do yeah. today. But I've got in my my world yeah. was like that, you know. I, I needed to try something new all the time, I think, to keep me inspired and keep me going. You you were and, like uh you were like, Hey, these guards with machine guns, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean it was it was there were so many things to do in motorcycling and, mm-hmm. and it was kinda of maybe maybe that's kinda of why you know, I had done all those things, yeah. kind of in my history. I, I achieved all those things along the way, winning in, in the U.S., winning in the in Europe. There's not a lot of riders that have won championships in both places, um, you know, and then the nations, and then, then doing rallies and doing all right. this. This kind of part, it's just part of my DNA, the way, yeah. way I, I kind of planned it to be. So, the, uh, so George Chauvet, probably the heavy favorite, right? I mean, were people, yeah. were people thinking you could win? Probably not. No, probably not. But you know, I I just think that there were that year there was five sand tracks, and that was really to my favor, or six sand tracks, mm-hmm. and I think I won all but one moto in all five sand tracks. You know, so or two motos. Why? Why were you so good in the sand? Being SoCal guy. I mean, I guess you were. Uh, there's yeah, desert, I, wa- but... I, wa- I was. I was a SoCal ga- SoCal guy, but I I practiced in the sand a lot because I knew I was I needed to because yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't grow up in it. So but he's Belgium. Um, he's Belgium. He should be yeah. better at you. At that. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. My my parents had a, a piece of property they bought up in Yucca Valley. Okay. And a lot of guys that have, if they if they listen to this interview, you know, they they're racing even fairly current guys mm-hmm. race tested on my tracks in Yucca Valley, you know, and so okay. I build a lot of tracks up in the high desert there, and the Lawrence, you know, the Lawrence brothers, they're all from there, so um, they, they, we had a lot of tracks, and I used to run up there during the week or on weekends for some years to learn how to ride in the track, on okay. the sand, and, and so that's kind of how I did it. Uh, who else would have been, uh, Neil Hudson, or no, yeah, Neil Hudson in yeah, that class? Ne- no, uh, no, Neil had yeah, Neil had quit. Dave Watson, Watson, okay. Kitty Gardner, Kindergartner, Vander, yeah. Case Vandervin, right? Um, and then of course know, so, Joe Bay. Did you get along with the other and guys? Jack, and Jackie Vimone and a lot of uh, oh, yeah, oh yeah. Did, so. you, did you get along with everybody? Other riders? Um, a little bit. George was a real competitor, Joe okay. Bay, and we had a little, we were a little edgy on each other. Okay. But I got to tell you a great story in Russia, really quick. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So we're we're in a, we're in a tourist hotel in Russia, right? Mm-hmm. And this is what and it's so big in Russia. I'm not joking. Probably a hundred thousand people at an outdoor track. It's like this giant bowl in these mountains, and there was just nothing but people. I mean, it was because they have nothing else to do. Right. So the night before. There's these things called tourist hotels where anyone came into Russia had to stay at these government-controlled hotels. You couldn't leave your hotel. You had to stay there. They had military people. So everyone was contained, kind of. They didn't let yeah, you yeah. mingle with anybody. So it's basically, that's kind of how it right. works. So this tourist hotel, the night before the race, they have a big party for all the local dignitaries and military. and they have, It's like a 400-person sit-down dinner in this giant hall, right? Mm-hmm. And... Earlier in the day, earlier in the day, I was in the parking lot with my mechanics, and there's Russian Russian soldiers standing there. And I see him, and I I, I go, I gotta b- try to see if I can get his belt or a hat or something. So I 
I pulled out some money. He's all, no, 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 no. And I saw I pulled out more money. He's all, no, 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 no. And I showed him a $100 bill back then in Russia. It was like, must have been uh, worth a lot. Okay. So he goes, he goes, he points at his watch. He goes, at this time, meet me here. So <laughs> I kind of, we're kind of like, okay, okay. You know, so he right. comes back. An hour later, he comes back with a bag with a full Russian uniform. Oh, no way. This wow. is 1983, right? right or 82. Right. So you can imagine way before the, there, it was still Russia, Russia, right. you know? So, right. so he comes back with a bag. He hands it to me. And I, I don't know why I was so stoked to have this full Russian uniform from head to toe. <laughs> I had to show George, Joe Bay. George looked at this. He goes, oh, Danny, you got to wear it tonight to the party. I'm all, are you nuts? Yeah, yeah. He goes, I'll, if they see an American w- w- imitating a Russian, right, right. I don't know what would happen. They're going to throw me in jail or I'm not going to be able yeah. to race tomorrow. What a gr-. And I said, you're pretty smart, huh? Do you wait for, for me to lose yeah, some yeah. points, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, so he goes, I'll do it. So, George, I'll never forget the story. He puts on this Russian uniform, and there all these military people are downstairs, and George walks down the stairs in his uniform, mm-hmm. and he's you know, doing the Russian walk with his oh, legs yeah, yeah. kicking out. Right, right. And, and, they were, and they were so pissed. They came, oh. they grabbed it off him. They, and, and it was really funny, you know. And I said, before I gave it to him, I said, make sure you don't tell anyone where you get it from. Right. Well, as soon as they took it from him, the first thing, where did you get it from? He points at me. <laughs> Danny Laporte. That's <laughs> <laughs> the funniest. I'll never forget that. It's a great story. That's totally George. Well, I was going to ask you anyway. if you still had the uniform, but I guess not. <laughs> I still have the belt. The, uh, the, the guy that was responsible there, the, who knows, the Russian, yeah, Russian yeah. guy, that, the military guy, I brought him back to the room. and we, The night before the race, I had to have a shot of vodka with him. And, uh, and I, at that point, I was willing to do anything. And... So then he wanted to go back to my room. We ended up trading stuff, like those little oh, wooden okay. dolls yep. that they, you know, and uh, I gave him some, uh, some JT T-shirts and, and hats, and he was so stoked. He went and got the belt back for me, and I still have the Russian belt with oh. the hammer and sickle thing. Yeah, nice, kind of cool, nice. So. Um, yeah, so you, you win four <laughs> GPs in a row at one point in that year. Uh-huh. Um, you win the world title. Second ever American because uh, Brad Lackey beat you by two weeks. <laughs> yeah, the weekend before, believe it or not, and okay. and and yeah, I know. So no one American had ever won a title. Yeah, all those years, Brad had been there for ten years, Forever, you know. Right, so right, right. and so maybe eight years or nine years, and it came down to the very last weekend. And Brad and I talk about it a little bit, okay. and he thinks that it's kind of true. Is that for me being there, he was watching me. It kind of put pressure on him. Right. Right. You know, because yep. oh shit, this is coming down. Yeah. You know, after all these years, I'm not. Gonna, you know, so, so it's pretty, pretty amazing. Did you? Um, did you win? And I, I went. Uh-huh. I, I went to the race and watched him race and enjoyed in the in the party afterwards. It was great to see him. I was just as excited for him, and it was awesome. You know that he he won the title. So. Uh, what did you have to do to win the title? Like, did you have a good lead? What was the circumstances at the final race? And for me, I had I had about. Uh, well, I had about 20 points, so I could have lost it, you know. Okay. So I just uh, – George had two bad starts. He, had, he got out of the gate bad. Mm-hmm. It was a sand track, and I just, I just rode around pretty much. Yeah. And, you know, um, got a start. I think I was probably around 10th on the start. I rode around and finished, I think, second and third or third. Yeah, yeah. Second and third or something like that to win. But it was, it was just – Really, in kind of an easy day. It was anticlimactic because George had a couple of bad yeah. starts, and I was just riding around. So it's you know, it's, it's amazing that America never wins a world title, um, never is on par with the Europeans for so many years, and the same year two guys do it. 
pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. It's it's kind of like domino. I think the, when we won the donations, right, and then, right, right. then Brad wins, and then I win, and then then we win the next like seven or eight years. We we were unbeatable for like the next eight or nine years. You know, I think I can't remember how many, yeah. but after that, then we just kept. Uh, you, uh, I think uh, you you were on a one year deal for eighty two. I was only I only raced one year, like I said, and I, uh, after that I was I was happy to let some Amer- well, other no, Americans no, no. give it a shot. No, know? I mean uh, on your contract, did you just sign for eighty two? Did you get a huge? Oh, raise? actually, with Yamaha, Yamaha, I had I signed a three year contract. Oh, after okay. That. All right, so you were you, yeah. So you were for eighty three, eighty four. Right. No, I'm sorry for a yeah. a two year contract. Yeah, with Yamaha after that. So eighty three comes. You're one number one plate. You got water cooling now. If I remember the photos right. Right, right. You got water right. cooling. Well, how does the defense go? The title defense. I think you get second, don't you? Yeah, I got second, and I lost by I think thirty-five points or something. Mm-hmm. But the, the the first race in France, the first race of the year, I DNF the first moto, twenty-five points. I go to the start line, second moto, twenty-five points, fifty points. You oh. can't give away fifty points to a guy like Joe Boy. That's like giving away yeah, yeah. fifty points to Carmichael. Are you kidding? You're not going to ever get those back. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, really, right. So, it's over, yeah. So I, I actually brought the points down, you know. I brought it. He was, but he had a good cushion, you know. He knew he had, he was safe. But I and I, so I did well that year. I think yeah. I even rode better that year than I did the year before. I really, if I would won a championship, it would have been my second year, not my first. Right, right, right. Because I, I, I really figured it out. I was really gun ho, honestly, to to win again. Yeah, it wasn't because you know my next point was I, my next goal was to, to go to the 500 class, and that was. I, want, I had to move out of the 250 class after yeah. that. 84, you go and to 500s, but the bike is air, was, the bike's air cooled. It's it's right. Well, no, my the bikes were those bitchin' aluminum frame 500 water cooled 500s. They were. They were. Yeah, they hmm. were. They were those bikes were. But what happened was, okay, this is this is what happened. I had a I had a two year contract with Yamaha. Mm-hmm. Uh, 83, I rode the 250 class, and then 84 is when Yamaha had. A, a big financial crisis worldwide. All the Americans had already gone to production-based factory bikes, so they were running like stock frames with modified suspension. You know, the Yamaha had like an old Ainsworth shock and some factory forks and a factory cylinder. That's what Brock was racing in yeah. already, in, I think, in 83 and 84. Yeah, yeah. They were already starting to feel the squeeze in America. And and so for me, to to, to continue in 84... I um, I had to ride if I wanted to ride the 500 class, I had to ridden, to to because of the bikes were already designated to yeah. Hoken Carlquist and a guy named Leif Nit Leif Pearson, Leif, another Leif Pearson, Swedish right, guy. Right, right. Yeah, and so there were no more bikes, and this is kind of what really put the nail in the coffin for me to quit racing. So I so okay I built a bike like they have in America. Yeah. Basically factory forks, Glover's shock, bike, right, suspension right. like Glover's bike. Yeah. But you're up against these insane Hondas, Gubors, right. Mahler, yeah. Thorpe, these water cooled, you know, they're 70 whatever insane Kawasaki's, Joe Bay, um, you know, all the different guys the bikes he were on. He was on yeah. he was still on Suzuki, I think. No, he was on No, Kawasaki. he was on Kawi. He switched to Kawi in eighty four. Yeah, yeah, he switched to Kawi. Yeah. You know, so the field was all factory bikes, these Yamahas, and I was on this production bike, you know. So Yeah. It was it was tough. It was tough and, and I, I I moved I was still running in about I think around sixth or seventh place on the average 
for the first three or four races. Mm-hmm. I was in, I was in, I think the last race I did was in Brew. Um, um, Hook and Carlquist hurt himself. And so I, I said to Yamaha, I said, I, if I, he's hurt, those bikes are available. Mm-hmm. I need, I need better equipment. And they said, well, we can't give you the bikes because Hoken doesn't want to let go of the bikes. I'm all, oh. So, like, he owns the bikes? This is uh-huh. what I'm thinking to myself. And I, I kind of right. regret this move. But then he goes, well, that's kind of the way it works in Europe. You, they, they, it's a little bit different than here. It's, not, it's, it's like Hoken kind of owned the bikes, you know. So <laughs> right, right, right. He, he didn't own them, but he, he, he kind of – they were designated to him. And, they, and Yama didn't want to ask him for them. I said, look, I'll go, to, I'll go to the next race in Sweden. I'm sixth or seventh. Maybe I can finish third in the championship. And that would really – you know, later on, open yeah. the door for me for the next year. Yeah. And, and they wouldn't do it. And I said, I said, then I'm not coming to the next Grand Prix in Sweden. So wow. Basically, yeah. I quit. Right. And, and that, I had an option to quit because when, when they couldn't provide me with factory bikes, my contract changed. So, so you could have quit anyway. Honor, they had you to honor could, my yeah. contract. Yeah. I didn't have to race. You could have you so, quit anyways because you didn't have a factory bike. Right, beginning right, of the year. Right, right exactly. Right. So they had to honor my contract. I didn't have to race. I just went out there on my own and got all these bikes. I had to do it on my own to build it. And they, they gave me the parts and bikes from Japan to build right. bikes like they had in America, and that was great. But in my mind, it was like it was such a – I'm out here racing my ass off. I really don't know. I was – I know it's like I'm not going to let those guys do this to me, you yeah. know? Uh-huh. And I walked away from it, you know. And and there were no more rider Yamaha guys in the top ten, so it was there. You know, yeah. I look at like them. I'm a real ass, <laughs> but but you know what? I I just didn't have patience to stick it out to the season, and I kind of regret that I didn't because I would have really liked to shot at the at the title on a 500. You know. Right. You um. So, what's your best Carlaquist story? Did you get along with him? Was he crazy? Oh yeah, Hawkins is great. He's yeah. he's 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 he's. he's Really, like overwhelmingly, he's got this uh, thing around him. Really powerful, you know. He's a yes, strong right, character. Right. He seems and like he's you, crazy. You, he's pretty gnarly. You wouldn't want to. You know, it's not like this. This guy's very overwhelming when he walks by it. You know, he's like, <laughs> okay, he's he's like, you take him today's motocross riders. The guy's probably six foot, six one. He's probably a hundred and. 95 to 200-pound 200, 200 yeah. guy of nails. I mean, yeah. he's like thighs on him like tree trunks. He's got legs like Dave, uh, like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> that English enduro rider. Oh, Dave Knight, uh, David Knight. Yeah. Dave Knight, yeah. Dave yeah, Knight, yeah. He's got legs like Dave Knight and upper body like Tyson. Yeah. You know, well, so, the- I mean, he's, he's, he's gnarly. He's overwhelming, and he looks at you. You know, he's going <laughs> to, so. He's got the beard. He's got the beard <laughs> and the goatee. He's honestly, yeah. he's a really nice guy. He's a really good guy. Uh, yeah, because there were stories about him like punching a van. Stories about him trying oh, to bury his Honda. Oh, he's got temper, right? Yeah, right, he, right. But, but he's out there when he's racing. You know, he's he's out there. He's yeah. not gonna. He's not a. He's not a wuss. He'll oh. go. He'll take. You know, he take you out a, in a turn or yeah. what he has to do. It's motocross. You know. Um, so so eighty five. You come back. You get a husky rod in America. Um. Yeah. Then then yeah. then it was. Uh, I came back. I took that the rest of that year off. And Mark Blackwell. Um, was trying to put together a, a team, and Husqvarna was trying to make one of their comebacks. Yeah. And I was doing nothing. Actually, I still kind of had, you know, I was doing nothing. Yeah. And he said, would you come help us out? And, and I said, sure. You know, so yeah. I probably, you know, kind of 
I did it for Mark more than it, I think for, for myself maybe a little bit, but Mark yeah, talked yeah. me into it. Right. And and it was kind of like I was just flirting around just with what I was doing, and I was really headed out of motocross, you know. So at that time, I was kind of just not sure what I wanted to do really still. So I I I started racing the Husqvarna, and in Colorado, the I was doing this uphill double, like fourth gear wide open, off the track, just goofing around, j- jumping this, like, road. Yeah, yeah. You know, uphill jump. Uh-huh. You know, where you jump over the road and land up on, on the top. And I missed, the thing went into neutral, and it went over the bars and piled on the side of the mountain and snapped <laughs> my femur off. Because uh, you were, like, uh, at some Not races. Too good. Yeah, at some races you were, like, fourth and fifth place, 500 national guy. Yeah, bad, but yeah. yeah, but it was really, you know, the bike, and it was no no secret, but the bike was, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was just an old bike that needed a lot of work. And, um, right, right. Yeah, and it just was, you know, it was way out of class. We were just trying to do what we could to, to see how it would go. And they had a good sponsor, Autolite was one of their sponsors. And, you know, whatever Mark Blackwell did, he did a great job, so... It was it was worth the the, the risk, you know, because right. I don't always race with top factories and yeah. things like that. It was a little bit of a risk for me to to do that sort of thing. But with Mark Blackwell there, I, I didn't feel like it was it was a, a bad thing to at least give it a shot. So you had to and, try it out and yeah. do so. Yeah, and they had some plans actually, honestly, to really to build Husqvarna back up, and then it fell apart again. So <laughs> right, which which seems to happen every say. I think he's supposed yeah, to happen now. Yeah, that poor yeah. brand. But now it looks like it might have a real good comeback here with the KTM boys. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. So well, after- I should say, no, I shouldn't say that the owner, Pierre, has uh, not, it has nothing to do with KTM, technically. Yeah, right. It's uh, another company, but, you know, I, I, hey, it's, it's, a, it's a great brand. I'd love to see it come back, and, you know, uh, why not, you know? Um, from there, you move into off-road stuff. You ride the Baja, yeah. 3000, the Baja 1000. You uh-huh. uh, you factory Cowie. You you do the Paris to Dakar. Um, what was what is the Paris to Dakar like? That has got to be one of the most insane races ever. Yeah, the, you know, I yeah, it's 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 to me it was really cool the idea of just racing in Africa. The word <laughs> Africa to me, it, lions and tigers, giraffes, <laughs> you know, rivers, jungles, and and the Sahara and all these kind of things and and. Um, so, but it was it was a challenge, you know, it was something that I'd, I'd been heard about and read about over the years while I was racing, and I couldn't believe, you know, what guys were doing racing across Africa. I thought it'd be a great adventure, mm-hmm. and and so right away in in about eighty, actually eighty six already, when I was just after I quit racing motocross, uh-huh. I started started to try to to get touch with some of these teams and to, to race in Africa. Then it was BMW and Honda; they had full factory teams and. Yeah. And you could see Marlboro, Camel, Rothmans. I'm thinking, you know what? What's going on over here? Why doesn't our sport have those sponsors? So they were doing, believe me, those guys were doing two races a year were doing really well, you know. <laughs> right, so, right, right. So, so how can I get, I want a part of that, you know. So, so I called Jean-Claude Olivier, who just recently passed away. He was the president of Yamaha Motor France. Mm-hmm. And we were friends. He was always really great to me. He even he was obviously related with Yamaha, and I met him when I was racing the World Championships. Yeah. And so I called Jean Claude, and I go, Hey, I want to race the car. And he goes, and he, he goes, I worry about you motocross racers. You know, you're just too fast for, you know. <laughs> and they had brought, remember, Andre Malherbe. Yeah. To yeah. race in Tunisia, and that's how he crashed, and that's how he yeah. ended up paralyzed. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. And, and then, um, then, and so. Right. 
Yeah. So, okay, and go ahead. So, yeah. And so Jean-Claude said, Danny, you know, I've had some bad experiences, and, uh, you know, you guys are just too crazy for off-road racing, you know, and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. You, don't, you can't read the terrain. So I said, look, I grew up a little bit riding in the desert. I'm not like the Europe, a typical European from the continent, you know, that, that is – there's never seen the desert, right? right I've seen right. the desert a yeah. lot more, kind yeah. of, right. kind of desert. A little bit. I right. thought right. It was I thought it was desert. <laughs> and, um, hey, hey, rode a Glamath. <laughs> right, right. I, could, I know desert. Yeah, yeah. I'll get back to that really quick too. Yeah, there's one section of dunes I rode one day, one heading from in Algeria that was uh, about 400 miles of sand dunes. That's like from L.A. past Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Of a set one section of right. sand dunes. One section, right. One sec. Anyway, uh, I call uh, Jean-Claude Olivier, and I said, hey, um, you know, every year, he goes, go get some experience and let me see. So I raced, the, I, so I joined on with Kawasaki, Larry Rosser, and myself, and Ted Honeycutt, and, and Paul Krause were our teammates. And so for three years, we won the, the 500,000 every year. We yeah, won yeah. the 500,000. Every year, I'd call You call the guy Jean-Claude, back, right? Hey, <laughs> I won, we won the 1,000. I'm getting the experience. Okay, Danny, that's very good. Do you need some more expenses? I call him back. Hey, we won the 500. Okay, Danny, that's okay. So I call him. I bugged him all the time. And finally, he gives me a shot at it in 80, in 90, no, no, I'm sorry, 1990, 1990. Yeah. And he goes, okay, Danny, come over and see me. I got a spot for you. And there's a lot of pressure on me. Don't prove me wrong. Right. And so the first time on a Yamaha, I'm in, um, where, where, in Niger. And we're leaving the village. And these, you know, the bikes then were, you know, 850, 950, mm-hmm. big twins. It's big power. You need a lot of fuel. The bikes will go, you know, really fast, right. you know, big twins. And I crashed outside of a village and hit a hole, went over the bars, destroyed the bike. I cracked my sternum. I had lung contusion, heart contusion. Oh. The helicopter landed. They shoved the tube in my chest. They got the blood out. You know, keep the blood from yeah. filling up my lungs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They threw me on a jet in Niger in the middle of, from a <laughs> helicopter to a, a, a dirt runway, you know, with a jet sitting on a dirt run, landing, because there no, there's no pavement. And they're really remote, Africa, everything, you <laughs> yeah, know. So, right. so fly me back. They saved me. I was in intensive care in, in Paris in the hospital. Jean-Claude is just like, I told you. I told you. Oh, my God. Well, that comes later. So I'm so out of it. I'm remembering. I'm crying almost, saying, what the hell am I doing? I had this great career racing. What am I racing in Africa for? My daughter, I remember, like, you know, it's kind of like a dream. You're waking up, anesthesia and drugs, and people are visiting you, you know, you catheters going everywhere you can imagine it's like you know you re- i just kind of remember flashes and i remember being an emotional and my daughter and i'm like what the hell am i doing and all this stuff you know so so anyway um about uh and then i flew back to america and every it's amazing how the mind works and how we start forgetting the pain we go through right. not i'm not joking i'm now i'm 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 okay i'm back in the states after a month in paris in the hospital mm-hmm. and i remember getting better and thinking about all I want to do is go race in Dakar again. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and I'll show <laughs> this sounds stupid. This is a typical motocross or a motorcycle racer story probably. Right, right. But we never give up, you know. I'll, uh, it's just, I'll, I'll show those villagers. I'll show those villagers what's up. Exactly. <laughs> I'm coming back. I want more. <laughs> so, oh, man. So I, I couldn't believe it. And three months later, I that thing had fallen apart at Yamaha. The trust between, I think, Yamaha and me didn't really work out. But John claude actually invited me back to race again. 
and and then I signed on with uh, Ducati Kajiva to race one of their bikes. So. Okay. And and you did you you won a st- did you win? Yeah, that yeah. later that year I won the Pharaohs Rally, and Peter Hansel was second. We we bailed okay. we di- we died pretty much the whole time. Yeah. In the previous year to that we I won quite a few stages in the the Pharaohs Rally. The year before that, before I crashed Yamaha, and then then the Yamaha the Dakar experience I nearly kicked it there, and then and then came back for more, and. Um, you know, got second the next. I won the Ferrell's Rally and got second in Dakar behind Peter Hansel that year. So right, right. But um, I think in Africa, in, in Africa, you know, it's kind of. I, I was just kind of, kind of on the verge of learning how to do it all. You know, it takes years of experience. It's like a lot of Americans, like Caselli, are over there now, and um, Jimmy Lewis and Johnny Campbell and yeah. a lot of guys. Uh, Scott Harden. We've had some real, pretty good success with guys racing in Africa, and it's just. You know, it's a whole mindset, you know. They, they race quite a few races a year. To get really good at racing a rally, it's almost like I think you need to live in Europe, you know, kind yeah. of thing, because they're, they're racing even the six days in the, in the Enduro series. Everything's a little similar, you know, to racing a rally. I, uh, I cannot. So. I've seen it on TV. I've seen the guys just tapped in sixth and just sail off a dune. I mean, it just seems so dangerous. So insane! Oh my God, it's it's crazy. I, I I mean, like you said, you know, sometimes the dunes like blend in. It looks flat, and then all you go and so, you know, on the big twins, I'm not joking. On a big like a Ducati, you know, 950 engine, when you're in the deep sand, I'm you can look down and you're going in deep sand over a hundred. I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. With the you know now the bikes I think the singles you don't have that kind of power right and so and the and the, so you so you you got weight and all of a sudden you're airborne you know right and you're going oh, I mean you, you just see your life flash in front of you you go oh my god what am I doing did you have and, any and, any near death things that you saved I mean yeah this, yeah this is a this is I this is no joke this is a year that yeah, Honda remember the year Honda built an EXP two test. Bike. It's a two-stroke. Uh, no, Danny, I, was I, wasn't, the, I wasn't into the car like that hardcore. <laughs> no, okay, yeah. So, but in in nine in uh, so uh, nineteen nine nineteen ninety four or five. Okay. Nineteen ninety Honda built a, a experimental bike called the EXP2. It's a two-stroke. Okay. And it was a four hundred cc bike, and they and they and they used the car to test the bike. It was to prove it was an emissions bike to prove mm-hmm. that they could reburn the fuel and make it as as pollution yeah free free as the two-stroke smokers. You know they they dump more smoke into the. Although now today, you know two-strokes are running on dry on lakes. They're cleaner than four-strokes. Yeah. But back at that time right. on a motorcycle, that's what Honda was doing. Mm-hmm. And they hired a couple of French guys in to, to race. Uh, Jean Brucey and and um, Brucey and uh, uh, another kid, Richard Sankt, who actually passed away racing. Yeah, yeah. In Africa, and so this one stage, the night before at the riders' meeting, they said, "Please, nobody go on the railroad tracks. They were they were built up 80 years ago by the English. They're <laughs> dangerous. They're do not get on the road through the Sahara, right? Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. The 1900, the English were all over there. Right. So he says, do not get on the railroad tracks, right? Okay. So that morning, I took off, and I had to change my tire because I had a broken wheel. 
and it was a marathon night. You can't work on your bike. Any work you have to do, yet you take the start, you go work on it. Mm-hmm. And so every every minute down, you lose. So I had to change a wheel. I took off. I'm late. So I go shoot. I'm you know ten minutes changing right. the wheel. Right. And. And so I take off, and I'm thinking how I can make up time. I go, yeah. railroads. <laughs> so if you not get – well, we have people out on the course. They're going to see you and blah, blah, blah. And don't get on the course. It's like a 100-mile section. Yeah, yeah. I jumped on the railroad tracks, and I just pin it. And right, So everyone's riding probably two miles from the side of this railroad right. parallel to them. They can't see me. And sometimes it gets a little close. Gets, it goes away from the railroad. Yeah, yeah. Just pin on these. I jump up a big, those big giant bikes. Try to jump them up and get it between railroads in the first place is kind of a trick. Yeah, you know? right, right. Yeah. So they're you know bikes are four hundred pounds. Yeah. Anyway, got it up between the beast up behind the thing and just started pinning it. And all of a sudden you come, and the railroads they go right into a dune. So the dunes shift in the desert. And it, it looks eerie looking because it's turning and it goes right and disappears into the bottom of a oh, dune. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the dune, the dune could be 30, 40, 50 feet tall. Oh. And so you jump off, you hit, and you try to get across, and you get back onto the, on the railroad. It you yeah. know, pops out the other side. Right, right. I get back on it, pin it again, and you're on the wood, the old wood. Right, right. Hauling ass, the bikes vibrate at first, and you're just doing 100 or whatever. So... Uh, I came to this one section, and there was four railroad ties, must, or four or five or whatever, completely missing. Out of this, and I'm in, the, and I'm pinned, right? So I see a big gap in the railroads. Yeah. While you're, and I clear it. I hit the other side. Now I'm doing a nose wheelie, going I don't know, eighty, ninety, oh, or a hundred yeah. on railroads on a beast like that. Oh, and you it, saved it. You just... I, yeah, the bike came back down. Yeah. And it landed straight, and I blew the sh- reservoir hose right off the back of the bike. It hit so hard the other side, just the pressure yeah, was yeah. so hard. Damn. It blew the hole. And now the bike's going, boing, 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 boing. you know, it's going, I get off the railroad track. I'm, now I'm scared shitless, right? right I just right. almost crap myself. So I get up, jump off the track, and I pulled off, and I get back. I start going to the, to the right of me. I knew I'd run into the course, mm-hmm. and I see some dust. I see some dust, and like three miles down, there's a checkpoint. I yeah. got off just in time. Oh, yeah, I right, pulled the right. checkpoint. I made, like, all the time back. Uh, although my, I have no oil on my shock. And, and your pants are full of crap. But <laughs> Yeah, right. And, and then we're sitting there at the checkpoint, and, they're, they're, and I, everything's cool. And I hear on the radio that someone was on the railroads and all this stuff, you know. <laughs> and, and, then, and then I go, oh, God, they're going to bust me, you know. So, so I, hear, I hear this, and in Africa, you don't hear many two-strokes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And every, this Peter Hansel and myself, Terry Meany, all these guys are sitting around at this stop, at this pit, and you hear this two-stroke, look over, and it's Richard Sankt or Brucey, one yeah. of the two, yeah, yeah. Were, was, was um, on the road. They didn't get off, and they blew by the checkpoint on the railroad because uh, really, the checkpoint <laughs> yeah. got really close to the road track. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Anyway, he was the one that got busted. That was kind of a cool story. Um, yeah, the rally stuff is just insane. Uh, what a what a well rounded career. Um, and you lived you lived in Europe for a while, huh? After that, yeah. Well, yeah. F- for that, yeah, I, I kind of did because there was uh, the Pharaohs Rally. There's the Atlas Rally in Morocco, and there's Dakar. There's um, those the Dakar and Pharaohs Rally were always the two main ones, and then there were some other events. So instead of flying back and forth for testing, I just 
moved my whole family over there again and to southern France. And I lived there for another seven years until that all kind of came to an end. All the cigarette sponsors kind of got out of the, yeah. the business, out of the out of sponsoring, which really took a toll on on the sport um, in in general because yeah. you know they were they were funding it, the cigarette companies. You know, um, when it, when it's all said and done, the the national title, the motocross the nation's title, or the world title, what? What are you most proudest of, or maybe the Dakar? Uh, you know, this, the car rides. What are you? What's your? What's your mountaintop title? I, I would say to me, the there's two that were really close. I think it's the nations and then the world title. The world title Those two yeah. together. Yeah. yeah the, the, the excitement, you know, and the 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 memories that you know those two events pop out to me the most. Right. Right. Um, you know. So yeah, I mean, it's all it's all fun and everything, but I think those. Because I'm a motocross guy at heart, you know, yeah. and and um, so that I think those were would be the most important. That, like I said, there's nothing that tops the day we won the donations at Lummel. Yeah, you know, it was it was pretty hard to top that one. So for sure, do you think we'll ever? And I asked Bobby Moore this same question: Will we ever see another American world champ world champion? Now, 1994 was the last time. You know, um, that, that's it's it's a guy that that you know. You know, when I went over there, I mean, I, it's, everyone went over for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd like to think that I went over there not because I had no option. I went over there because no one had won a title yet. Yeah. And um, I, it doesn't I, – I think in, in Europe it's still very difficult. No, I mean, Bobby persevered for many, many years, yep. you know. Yep. Um, I think it's uh, – it's, uh, it's, it's not easy to win a title anywhere. You know, it's kind of like people said, you know, that guy just won the last three or four races, and maybe he won because there wasn't as much competition there. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you, it doesn't matter. Right. It's hard to win any race, yeah. anywhere, week after week, moto after moto. The guys that can win four, three or four motos in a row, I don't care who's there. It's hard not to make a mistake, Right. you know? So... Whether there's a lot of competition one year or no competition, it's not easy to win no matter what. Winning's not easy. And you, like you said, you, we got to get somebody over there who wants to go, and that's just yeah, where it's yeah, at. Yeah, it has to yeah, – yeah, back to your point, Steve. Yeah. It's like the, the, um, the guy has to not be afraid you know, of, of Europe to embrace it, you know, not mm-hmm. be homesick. It's, it's a whole other challenge. That's part of it is living, to live in Europe – and and get along, and I think that that makes it easier in the long run. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to be able to enjoy, and you know, I mean, I, I thought it was kind of fun to to try to learn different languages, and I like different food, and I did, wasn't a guy that had to have McDonald's or this and that. I mean, I'm pretty open minded, and um, so it was just a it's a great experience for someone, you know, or anyone to to go do. Um, what a, I know it, it, it. Go ahead. So go ahead. No, Sorry. I was, was going to say, what an eclectic career you had. Like really, like, uh, like you said, because of your hyperactiveness or your ADD or whatever. Yeah, it's, yeah it, there you go. That's yeah, it. Right. It, it. This is taking you all over, literally all over the world, uh, racing motorcycles in one form or another. It's crazy. Yeah, it did. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, thinking about it, I've had such an amazing. You know, life being able to do all those things—it's just yeah. 
Yeah. It's great, you know, and I still enjoy it. I still ride, and, and actually, I th- to throw in all that, I did the six-day trial, the six days one of, year as of well. Course, of course kind you of did. Kind of fun. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah, of course I had to do that. Right, but right, I, right. I was, yeah, when I was doing the 1,000 and the Baja 500,000, trying to get experience to race in, mm-hmm. in, in Africa, uh, Mark Johnson convinced me to do the the six days, yeah. and then it was really funny because the motocross guys, you know, it was a joke because we didn't even know how to change a tire. We never yeah. had to change yeah, a tire, right, right. but but I did it. I actually changed. I could change. Uh, I could change front and rear in less than ten minutes. Nice. Is Zach Osborne's going over or, this year? I can't believe it. I'm, uh, I give him props. Zach Osborne's going. So yeah, that's awesome. I think I think that's. That shows you. That shows you that he. I think that's amazing. You know that yeah. he's got that. You know he's he's gone to Europe. He's come back here. He's doing well. In, he's done well in both envi- yeah. both in both worlds. So he's a he's a modern that's day. Really, he's a, that's really admirable. He's, What's a, that? he's a modern day Danny Laporte. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. He is, and I, that's, I I do follow him for that because it's 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 not easy on on either. Either side. No, that's my, yeah. back to my point. You know, winning anywhere is not easy. It's still someone's got to win. There's only one guy that does it. You know, toughest competitor you ever raced. The toughest competitor, I would say, would be two guys. Would be that I raced with a really, really, really tough twenty-four-seven. Would have would have been Hannah and Glover in my area yeah. era in the U.S. And then and then Europe, it's it's Jobay and and, uh, and probably. Kenny Gardner is a, it was a guy that was really, really mental. Yeah. He was a tough guy, too. He was really strong. Um, yeah, he went on to win two, 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 guys. Two, two 250 titles after you left. Jackie won, and then Kindergartner won the last two. Um, uh, and then yeah, he, that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, no, yeah. Your, uh, your favorite bike you ever had? What's the best bike you ever raced? <laughs> um, I, I love all the manufacturers because, you know, if it wasn't for you, I'd like to thank all my sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's true though. I mean, I'm really grateful for everybody and every you know in the industry. You know, that's that supported me along the way. It's true. I mean, uh, without without those guys, we wouldn't be anybody. Um, you know, it's it's we're still kind of a small sport, kind of you know, which is kind of cool. It's not uh, it's not like Formula One or or NASCAR where. You know, I don't think those guys can go anywhere without being noticed. We're still kind of like yeah. unnoticed sport kind of guys. Right, right. And in our in our industry, you know, it really isn't flush with money. You know, it's not it's not like NASCAR for sure. Any of those even close. And there's obviously in the the economy the way it's been the last four or five years in motorcycle sales. It's not like it's booming. You know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think the riders today have to be really grateful for what they've got. You know, and and um, I mean, they, they, I, I believe that, that motocrossers deserve as much as any, any you know, because for what they, the time that they put in, the risk that they take, it's, it's tough. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's not the way the world works. It's all money. So. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you still have one of your old Techno helmets, Danny? I do. I still oh, have a Techno. Uh, those were cool. Those were cool. Yeah. When you were... No, but... Um, Sorry, go oh, ahead. No, go ahead. Steve. What were you going to say? I do, but the pl- the those uh the visors on a lot of helmets, they crack after <laughs> after <laughs> 20 years. 25 years, <laughs> they start cracking. Oh. So, um well hey, yeah. uh, Danny the Door, thank you for doing the uh, btosports.com RacerX podcast presented by Thor MX. I said I needed an hour. Uh it's great stories, so we went an hour and a half. Uh fantastic career. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Uh, 
Oh, thanks, Steve. That was great. I I like to take a walk down memory lane. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Yeah, kind of cool. I never really yeah, realized you, you, that. Uh, I never realized how. I always thought like you were. To be honest, I always thought like you were sort of forced to Europe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because because maybe you couldn't get something in USA, and I you know, always thought that yeah. maybe you were forced to to hang it up from Yamaha because you were just you know not because you didn't yeah. have a good bike, but. Just like you said, always looking for a new goal, always looking for a new challenge. Yeah, that, that's that's the reason I, I left. You know, otherwise I would have stayed at Honda yeah, yeah. for those years. You know, and no, I I I just moved on because I knew I had to because I only had so many years left to to, to get that title. Yeah, so it, yeah absolutely. It, it made perfect sense. No one had done it at the time. So and uh, just too bad Brad wanted a week earlier, Danny. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's that's true. That's true. He did it. Yeah. yeah that that's really cool though. The, Brad's Brad's great. The damn schedules. The damn schedule maker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh thank and, you. Uh, and uh and right. yeah, thanks uh thanks to FMF for for uh putting you on board and uh you guys are doing great things down there and um yeah, man, thanks for doing this. All right, thank you very much, Steve. It was great talking. All right, see ya. All right, bye. This has been the BTOsports.com podcast show brought to you by RacerX. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself that's it you know and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that you know that i was going to miss the daughter ron machine until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying it's like beating a dead horse i mean you know and i know from personal experience did anybody ever sit me down of course they did everybody did pro circuits mitch payton there's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I had pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX on the iTunes Store to enjoy these and many more great podcasts. You know